Welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. This is a podcast where we bring successful tech sales professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs to share best practices, insights, and lessons learned with other tech sales professionals. As a sales professional, the more we learn, the more we earn. Once we earn it, how can we put those hard-earned commission dollars back to work to build additional income streams that will create the freedom we are all working to achieve? I'm your host, Chris Freeman. I'm a high-tech sales leader, real estate investor, and lifetime learner. All right. Well, welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Chris Freeman. And for our next episode, I'm really excited to have Steve Cross join us. Steve has had a full and productive career in tech sales, everything from carrying a bag as a rep to a national sales manager, VP of global sales. His last role was managing a national sales team within the Atlassian uh, channel ecosystem. And just is it a testament to his success, that organization has grown to a $1 billion organization uh, in terms of channel sales. Um, And, you know, it's interesting is Steve, I never never met Steve before. He was a, a referral to me from one of my previous guests. And uh, it's something that I definitely have been more intentional about, you know, asking for referrals. Um, in fact, I have to put a sticky note sometimes on my computer to just to remind myself to ask for, for a referral. And in fact, the person that referred Steve was also a referral uh, from one of my previous guests. So a little bit of a sales plug. If you're a sales rep out there, uh, are you asking for references and referrals from every one of your customers? You know, simply ask them, well, you know, who else do you know in your network that might benefit from the types of things that we do? Anyways, I, dig- I digress from the topic today, but I just wanted to pass that along because um, it is what we do. It's our profession. So let's jump into it. Steve, welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. Thanks, Chris. So, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't do your background justice. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about yourself and your background in tech sales? Oh, my. Uh, thanks. I started out selling, of all things, key punch machines. And anybody that's younger than about 50 has never even seen a key punch machine. So, I started out selling key punch machines, which, and then eventually ended up selling uh, CPUs. Uh, with the CPM operating system, that's before DOS, uh, before Windows, before <laughs> before anything. In fact, we still rode uh, dinosaurs to the office in those days. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and I started working with value-added resellers with FARS, who were um, putting together whole packages that included printers and storage and all that, uh, along with our CPUs. And I started working with a built from scratch VAR network and went on the road to work trade shows and recruit more VARs. And that's how I got started. I eventually ended up selling shrink-wrapped software to the 12,000 computer dealers in the United States. It's crazy to think of it, but every town had four or five really decent um, computer stores. And so I'd fly into someplace like St. Louis and I'd go demo software at every single one of the important computer stores in that town. And 
demo it for the sales people, get them involved, get them interested. And that's how we drove demand through the distributors in those days. I mean, this is really almost out of the primordial ooze of the channel. So, um, and eventually I ended up in um, enterprise software and working with uh, channel partners that did million dollar projects and sold 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 seats to enterprise customers. And that's sort of how I finished my full-time career. So what you're saying, Steve, is you, you've learned a few things along the way. <laughs> Gosh, I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I certainly hope so. Well, that's an interesting progression. Um, it, if you think back to it, what was the most challenging role that you had? Ooh, I had one. Um, and it was challenging, not because the product was difficult, the product was fine, but because... There was a lack of, uh, I guess you would call it personal support within the company. Uh, I just beat the you-know-what out of my quota one year, and I was running um, uh, an entire GL. I didn't get any bonus money. There was no bonus. There was nothing, just my salary. And I asked my boss, I reported to a global VP, I asked him, Am I not going to receive a bonus this year? I didn't see anything. And he said, your bonus is you get to keep your job. (laughs) Yeah, I'm curious. How did that end up? uh, I left. (laughs) I left and found a better job with a better company. And that was, I think that was the most challenging. That was the most difficult job. And it wasn't because of the job itself. It was because of the management. And I think that's why people leave jobs, because of management. Yeah, it is true. I mean, they they um, will leave because of the management. I, I've heard quotes before, but oftentimes it's the management or the manager or the first line manager to be specific. But then they'll justify it with a bunch of other reasons. But it really comes down to you know the leadership and you know is somebody looking out for them, somebody helping them yep. progress in their career. I mean, those little things make a huge difference. They do tremendous. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm curious. Um, you know, many of my, I think many of the listeners, you know, most, a lot of tech, tech sellers, tech, tech leaders, um, a lot of them work through the channels and you've definitely, uh, you definitely have some experience in this, in this area. You know, what are some lessons you can share about how a great rep can leverage the channel, channel ecosystem? First off, I think a lot of, boy, I hate to demean anybody, but I think a lot of channel reps don't spend the time to figure out how their partners make money. In other words, like I talk to people that don't know what the utilization is of the bench of their solution partners. It's like, are you kidding me? Your solution partners have weekly meetings, sometimes daily meetings to measure their utilization and manage their utilization of the people that they have out in the field working on their projects. If you don't know what that number is or know how it's managed, you're really missing a key factor of how your partner earns a living. And the other thing is, I don't think a lot of reps spend much time figuring out how their channel partners, CEO, VP sales, whoever they deal with, buyers, um, are compensated. I always made it my business to figure out how they make their comp, 
So is there something I can do? And a lot of times there really isn't. But is there something I can do that will help them achieve their career goals, their um, their personal comp, their family goals? Um, what what can I do to facilitate that, help that, or 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 even just contribute to that? I think that's really important, that personal side of it, because when you come down to it, it's not the boxes that we push or the seats that we sell. Um, it's really about the people that we work with. So yeah. the channel gives us a wonderful opportunity to work with a ton of people. I do think uh, really digging into how they get paid, that matters. And sometimes, you know, you'll ask the question and they'll tell you the answer. And, you know, it might be some initial information, but just like in anything you know, that we do in sales, you need to ask a few follow-up questions because the yeah. devil is in the details, as they say, you know, they get paid on margin. Well, we already knew that, but there's thresholds. Certain margin is maybe treated differently than other margin, you know, margin on right. services sales, margins maybe on a subservice that they have. If you, you know, maybe you get over a certain percentage of margin, maybe there's a kicker, you know, maybe if they're working in uh, financing into the deal and they can have a role in that, you know, there's extra margin and profit for them to be made in that area. So really digging into that. And sometimes, you know, you can't do anything about it, but you know, I remember there was a deal that we, one of my team members did, this is years ago, but um, in the process of doing the deal, they're able to carve out some of the, maybe some of the margin from the registration and turn that into a services engagement for that partner, which it ended up being more, more margin uh, for them, just in terms of how they were compensated. But yep. more importantly, it actually put them in a strategic position to be able to go out and better engage with the customer who they weren't all that tight with at the time. So uh, I had a lot of credit to that rep because he could have just booked the deal. Sure. But he stopped, slowed down. He said, hey, how do I help set you up in this account to maybe right. have success down the road, which also helps me? There's so much potential upside that I think we all overlook. And I think that's a perfect example of it. So what is the biggest mistake maybe uh, field reps make with the channel? I have a sort of a, almost like a pet peeve. Um, and it's context. The context, it's sort of funny because there are there are channel partners that have had 20-year relationships with their customers. And sometimes the, um, the field rep is really unaware of the history, unaware of the history, and not only unaware, but not cognizant of the impact of the history. Because they may have a relationship with the son of the founder from 20 years ago at the customer location. Now that customer is a, um, a NASDAQ listed public company, but they know the son of the founder and that personal relationship. Oh, here I go again, the personal relationship and the history is really important to know, to understand and be cognizant of. Yeah. Yeah, that is interesting because uh, in many cases, you know, those reps are also those channel reps. Um, they're in it for the long haul. You know, they yes. built up that book of business and it is a long term relationship. And so they, you know, and that's where I do see a little bit of that conflict because they have that long term view versus some SaaS software sales rep coming in. They have a quarter to get it done. That's and right. 
burn the boats. We're getting it done. And you guys can follow me and get on the boat or get off the boat. I really don't care. And Exactly. Uh, and they have no context. They don't know the history, nor do they care about the history. And in some cases, you know, that aggressive nature, they'll get the deal done and they can have some success, but it's not sustainable um, as a field rep. Yep. 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 Yeah. Very true. Well, so being in the channel and, you know, with your success that you've had, um, you had the opportunity to be exposed to many reps, many field reps uh, and channel reps, of course. But, you know, what have you noticed that separates the top performers from the rest of the pack? Is there a trade or something they do, kind of a way they run their business? Absolutely. The best ones are responsive. Absolutely responsive. I don't mean that they have to take calls from the the channel partner at midnight or three in the morning. It means that they manage to advocate for the channel partner at the same time as they advocate for the company. They don't swap advocacy and being adversarial. They're they're advocates and they respond in a way that is colored by advocacy. What's really weird is when a channel partner reaches out for help, to a field rep or a manager and doesn't hear back. In this day and age, really, in 2022, and doesn't hear back? Look, I'm 70 years old. I've got Slack, Zoom. I've got Slack with two clients. I've got Zoom with everybody. I've got uh, text on my Pixel 6, which, by the way, is a really good phone. And... Um, uh, and I've got, I've got, I've got a Chromebook, I've got a PC, and I've got a MacBook Air, and I think that's normal. That's normal, and I respond to clients. It's like I, I believe that the top people really manage their responsiveness. They manage their book of business. They manage their partners, and they manage their responsiveness. They really take an active role. Mm-hmm. on an ongoing basis and it is a long-term game and i think they they stay in that responsiveness the best ones yeah yeah it's interesting it's um i think you know for reps for a lot of reps i think you know, they might default to being responsive to the customer right that's the low-hanging fruit but i've seen lots of times and it goes both ways right a field rep reaches out to a partner rep and the partner rep doesn't respond yep and you know, you may feel like there's nothing there for that for that rep to offer you right now, but it's you know it is a people business, and you just never know. You know that That's right. six months down the road, that one big account that you want to get into just happens to be run by that partner, run by that rep, and guess what? You blew them off six months ago, That's and right. you may have totally forgot about it, but they didn't. That, they your didn't. name, your face no. is associated with that blow off, so. It's, right. a, it's a great point. And I mean, I need to get better at it. We all get busy, right? We all, yeah, absolutely. I hope you are enjoying this episode. I wanted to break in with a quick commercial. During the podcast, we sometimes talk about how to invest those hard-earned commission dollars so that you can build that freedom we are all working towards achieving. Now, I built that through 20 years of real estate investing. Now, recently, my team helped me put together a webinar on how top sales pros can create passive income and achieve financial freedom with hands-off real estate investing. 
Now, I'm still doing this. And as I continue to invest, I'm giving opportunity for others to learn and invest alongside of me. So if you want to learn more, go check out our webinar at hightechfreedom.com forward slash webinar. That is hightechfreedom.com forward slash webinar. We will also put the link in the show notes. Now back to the show. Anything else that you've seen out there that you might, uh, you know, over that 50-year career, you know, those top performers? It's funny because they come, they come in all shapes and sizes. And I know that sounds cliche, but they really do. Um, I, I know a woman who looks like a homeless person. She really does. She pays no attention to how she dresses or how she looks. Her customers love her. They just love her to death. And when it comes to selling, she's a killing machine. <laughs> she really is. She's remarkably effective. And um, yeah, you just, another cliche, you can't judge a book by its cover. Sometimes you can. Sometimes <laughs> the cover is a dead giveaway. But you just you just never know. The best ones are are the people folks, the ones that care, the ones that that actually give a rat's ass um, about the customer. Yeah. I had a, one of my guests uh, was on and she said, you know, they, they have a, a give a shit factor. You know, they, <laughs> yes. they just, they, they, whatever yes. the problem is or the challenges or the people, you know, they put in the time to really care and figure yep. it out, go after it, respond. You know, some of the things you talked about. Yep. It's absolutely What's really interesting is that people say, I'd like to avoid being seen as a hired gun. Want to stop being seen as a hired gun? Start caring. Just start caring. Start caring about the company you work for and start caring about the, the people you work with and um, and the people you call on. Yeah, great advice. Be a hired gun. Great advice. Well, so you you are officially retired, and but you're still working. Yeah. Uh, clearly, you have all the technology to to be connected. You know, what did what did you envision retirement would look like? So, if you think back twenty years ago, you know, so let's say I don't know, you're seventy now, so you know, minus twenty, maybe minus thirty. You probably had a vision of what your retirement would look like, and you know, what did that look like? And then, you know, how did reality play out, or how did your views change over time? Well, what it looked like was um, my uncle Jack. My Uncle Jack was a teamster, and he was a union rep. And when he retired, he sat on his porch, and he read books. He was a big reader, really remarkably self-educated person, but he didn't do anything. And I sort of thought it looked like that. I wasn't very thrilled about that, but I figured I was going to ease my way into that. And instead, um, retirement doesn't look like what I thought it would look like at 40 or mm -hmm. 50 or even 60. Um, I thought I'd, well, now part of the, okay. Now part of that, since I've, I've been on the road forever, I'm habituated to it. I thought once we retired from full-time work, my wife and myself, uh, we'd be traveling all the time. Well, something called COVID inter interfered with that. So during the pandemic, we've only been traveling to bubble places. like. Jazz festivals where everybody's vaccinated because every 
jazz the jazz audience is a little older so everybody's vaccinated so we wear the masks on the airplane we go to a place where everybody's vaccinated we're in a bubble so that's the only travel we've been doing which is nuts because i used to do for years i did a city a day in the u.s and europe so yeah i'm habituated to travel so i thought we'd be traveling all the time um and instead okay so i got off I got off the phone a week ago, or two weeks ago tomorrow, with one of my clients uh, who does uh, M&A work, and I was advising them and their global bankers. I'm 70 years old, and it's like, I had, Chris, I had no expectation that, I, that I'd be making a positive contribution to really interesting deals with interesting clients in an interesting ecosystem at 70 years old. It's bizarre. Mm -hmm. So um, right now I'm, I've got one software company. I'm on retainer to a software company, um, a solution partner and a private equity firm at 70. It's nuts. And, and it's, it's yeah, I'm, I'm elated. I can't, I sort of can't believe it. It's really pretty cool. Yeah. So you like it. So that's awesome. So then what, what advice would you give to a rep that's sort of mid-career that, uh, you know, that may have a certain perspective of what the future freedom might look like? What would you tell them? Oh, I'd tell them to pick up a side hustle. Yeah. I'd tell them to pick up a side hustle that they're really interested in. I've got a hobby. Besides all, all this stuff, I do really crappy watercolors. Um, um, and, and that's a fun hobby. But um, I never developed a side hustle. I think that'd be a, I think that'd well, be a good thing. Well, why do you say that? I mean, why, why develop a side hustle? Why not just work harder in what you're doing? Well, because eventually what you're doing is going to end. Ooh, we probably need to talk about career arcs. If you're not in your seat in your mid-50s, you aren't going any further. You are either going to stay at that level or you are going to go down a level. I ended up carrying a bag at 60, and I went to work for literally the greatest company on earth, Atlassian. In 40 plus years in tech, I've called on everybody. I've never even countered a better company than Atlassian. It was a wonderful experience. They hired a 60-year-old channel manager to carry a bag. I mean, are you kidding? So I ran all of the Americas. I ran the channel for the Americas and then built up a team to do that. Yeah, that's cool. Well, if you were to if you were to go back and then do a side hustle and develop something along the way over you know a number of years, what would it have been? Probably investment advising. I probably would have gotten uh, a CFP as a certified financial planner because that really interests me. I probably would have done that and maybe built up a small advisory business. I like helping people and I like sort of guiding people, mentoring people. I mentor, I'm mentoring three people right now. You didn't say it, but I mean, I can clearly tell that, that you're doing these things. It's not about the money. It's about you're engaged, you're giving back, you're having a good time, you're keeping the brain stimulated. You know, that that's the stuff that, you know, keeps you healthy, keeps the mind healthy. You know, one of the biggest, uh, you know, it's a pretty, pretty important organ. Um, you know, a lot of my listeners know I, I, I'm pretty active in real estate and, you know, I'm doing this podcast. When I started the podcast, 
I didn't really have any big goals around doing it, but it's so funny that, you know, I'm 50 and, you know, the process of talking to people like yourself, doing the podcast, coming up with creative ways to improve the quality, automate the distribution. It's, it's been kind of a stimulating activity that's also trickled down into my normal job. You know, I've picked up ideas and I've picked up things that I can, wow. I can now apply this to my sales team and my organization. And, you know, it just opens up a whole new, you know, way of thinking about things. And, you know, it's something I feel that I can then continue to carry on, you know, maybe after I leave my current role. So, yeah, it's a good point. Neat. So, Steve, I was curious when uh, going back, you know, part of the theme of the podcast is, you know, you first need to learn from the best in order to earn like the best. But, hey, you know, we're, we're not just in high tech sales because we absolutely love it. You know, there's upside, there's great money. And, you know, we have something we're all shooting for in our in our future. As you were earning your commissions and making making money over the years, what, you know, what, what was your priority around investing? Oh, gosh. When I was younger, in my 30s, I just kept thinking, I need to make more money. Because I wasn't managing my spend. My wife and I were sort of spendthrifts. No, not sort of. We were spendthrifts. And um, and I just kept thinking year after year, I just need to make more money. And the truth of it was, I needed to manage my spend better. And I needed to do a better job of investing. I wasn't really investing. I was gambling. Mm-hmm. And there is a difference. So whenever anybody asks me for advice financially... I ask one question and one question only. Are you an investor or a gambler? And if they can't answer that, it's the end of the conversation. I'm not interested in advising gamblers. What do you mean by gambling? I mentor a fellow whose entire investment portfolio is GameStop. It's (laughs) It's a meme stock. It's a meme stocks trading at about 120 bucks as of today. And it's a $10 stock. I mean, it really is. They're just doing a corporate reorg. They should have declared bankruptcy. And it's like, and that's where every cent he has goes into. It's like, that's gambling. Yeah. That's not investing. That's placing investing, a bet for sure. Buy some, yeah. yeah, investing, buy some Berkshire Hathaway, Berkshire Bees, you know, <laughs> or, or anything solid, right? Yeah. Across the board, buy an index fund or several index funds. That's investing. Yeah. Because investing's a long-term game. And buy a house. Get yourself in the real estate market. Gee whiz. Um, it actually took us a while to do that, to buy our first house. And we've done really well. So, well, except for, <laughs> except for that fixer-upper in Detroit that we bought. That one was not a good idea. Um, so, but aside from that, yeah, we've done really well in real estate. Yeah, that's they, don't, they don't make any more of it. Well, it's um, it reminds me of, a, I think I was telling you a story. Early in my career, I met a, a rep who uh, I knew he had been successful and I knew he made a bunch of money, um, worked for one of the big vendors. But I was always scratching my head. You know, I think he was 55, maybe 60. I think he might have been about 16, but he was still grinding it out as a rep. And I just, I, I couldn't figure out why. And what I learned over time was, yeah, he made a lot of money. He's still making good money, but he, his lifestyle had creeped up to a level of spend to where, you know, if he wanted to retire, his 401k wouldn't cover it. 
And I, you know, I had just started to really explore real estate at that point in time and got exposed through a really good um, mentor at the time, future partner. And that was when I decided, you know, I'll go ahead and do the 401k, take advantage of the matching. But, you know, I wanted to continue to put into the real estate market and find uh, investment opportunities that could generate some additional income and, and appreciation over, over time. So, um, you know, to your point about uh, the spend, you know, I think a lot of younger people, you know, you'll figure that out later, you know, it's, 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 you're single, you don't have to worry about it, but you know, next thing you know, you know, it starts to creep up on you, you're getting married and yeah. you know, the more expenses continue to grow and you got to keep an eye on it. Next thing you know, you're 48. <laughs> Next thing you know, you're 48. And you don't have enough in your 401k. <laughs> yeah. Well, by and the way, and you're driving a Bentley. <laughs> yeah. Well, by the way, if you know, if anybody out there is interested in learning more about investing in real estate, we do have a, a free ebook on our website. You can go download. Um, you can also sign up for our newsletter. Just go to hightechfreedom.com and you can find it there. So, well, Steve, as we wrap it up here. You know, I usually like to ask my guests, you know, what do you do to give back? Is there any charitable thing that you're doing that you're real, really excited about that you might want to share? Well, um, besides mentoring people, I also mentor people in recovery. I'm almost, I'm clean and sober about 40 years. So, oh, congrats. Um, thank you. So, I um, uh, I work with uh, new new guys. <laughs> and I'm of the old school boys with boys, girls with girls. <laughs> so I work with new fellows and uh, find that just almost remarkably uh, satisfying and fulfilling. Oh, it sounds like a great, uh, great program. Well, if um, if somebody wanted to re- reach out to you or get a hold of you, how can they get in touch? Uh, SteveCross at gmail.com okay. is the best way to get a hold of me. I was in the beta. <laughs> I told you I'm old. I was in the beta for Gmail. <laughs> Yeah. So, so I got to keep my name. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I had, uh, my first version of my name. I have a, my son's a junior. So I gave him my, uh, my early one so he could keep it. The thing that I wish I would have done. Hey, if you're a salesperson out there, you know, thinking about branding, whatever, um, if you could ever get the website URL of your name, even if you don't have anything to do with it, just grab it. Cause I went and found mine and some college recent college grad had it. And he offered to sell it to me for his student loans. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've had stevecross.com for, I don't know, 20 years. I had to wait till a professor at um, Northern Michigan university passed away, yeah. which was sad, but he had the same name as me and I grabbed his domain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. <laughs> that's, sort of, that's sort of weird. It is. Well, that's all right though. I mean, it's, um, you know, if you can do it, you can grab it. I'm sure there'll be some other thing out there at some point that you can you can grab onto. But Steve, I really appreciate the time today. Thank you so much for coming on. Is there any any final parting thoughts that you would like to share with the audience? No, um, just to thanks so much for inviting me and having me. This has been really uh, interesting and fun. So no, I really don't have anything else except that thing over my shoulder. That's uh, the Lifetime Achievement Award from Atlassian. I think it's the only one they've ever given. No, no I'm, kidding. I am really proud of that. Yeah. In, inordinately proud of it. <laughs> How about the painting? Is that one of yours? No, gosh, no, no. I'm really crappy at painting. No, that's actually a, um, oh, the guy's name is, I think, Leonard Taylor. He's an art professor and painter. And He's good. Yeah. I re- well, really like it. Yeah. yeah. It's really, really pretty. So, yeah. well, thank you again, Steve. I uh, look forward to catching up soon. Thanks, Chris. See ya. 
Thanks again for joining us today. To get more sales and real estate tips, you can subscribe to our newsletter at hightechfreedom.com. You can also join our private Facebook and LinkedIn group that is exclusively for sales professionals. If you found a nugget of good information in the podcast, please subscribe, give us a positive rating and write a review. If there is a topic that you would like us to cover in the future, please send us a note through our website at hightechfreedom.com. Until next week, make this your best week ever.